Al Jazeera podcast. Africa is holding its first climate summit. The aim is to find out how to tackle the continent's climate change challenges. But although African countries are ambitious about green development, can they do it alone? And do they have the money? I'm Imran Khan, and you're listening to the Inside Story podcast, where we dissect, analyze, and help define major global stories. Let's meet our guests in Nairobi is Maurice Onyango, Regional Head of Disaster Risk Management for Plan International in Abuja, is Donald Ikena Ofiegbu, Program Manager of Sustainable Nigeria Programs with Heinrich Boll Stiftung, an Africa policy think tank. And also in Nairobi is Sarah Maka, Africa Executive Director of The One Campaign. A warm welcome to you all. I want to begin in Nairobi with Sarah first. This is a historic moment for the African continent. It's the first ever climate change summit. Now, Africa is responsible for about 2 to 3% of global emissions, yet it's the continent that's the worst affected. But the real challenge here for this particular summit is trying to come up with a unified agreement. Very simple question. Do you think they can do that? I do. I think there is political will. I think that um, this inaugural climate summit has really awakened something in the leaders of Africa. They have come in their numbers. So there's a, a pretty impressive list of African leaders in the room, um, in spite of the fact that the G20 happening next week. Um, there are a good a number of international guests in the room, uh, from Secretary John Kerry from the United States all the way to Europe. I think that we are, it feels different on the ground. Round, to be honest, when you walk around the the the, the summit ground, you you see the 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 Middle Easterners are, are representing the numbers, the Africans are representing the numbers as the hosts, Europeans are representing the numbers. I think political will is there. I think resource constraints are real. I think the impact of climate change is very real for Africa. I think we've been hit by a few areas that have tightened the fiscal space cost of living, inflation, um, the Ukraine and Russia war did not help. The pandemic really exacerbated a lot of things. So there is urgency of, of the situation and there's political will to find solutions. So I think as there is a will, we will find a way. Now, let me uh, go to Abuja. Donald, uh, where there's a will, there's a way. But that might not be the way that everybody's looking for, this optimism that we talk about, might not happen. There are still large oil-producing nations within Africa itself who are insisting that they need that money to develop their own nations. We're not unified right now, are we? Is that optimism a bit misplaced? Yeah, I, I, I think um, I'll apply a little bit of caution um, in terms of how much I want to put some optimism um, as to what's happening. Um, largely because um, I think um, a lot of African countries are leaning so much of um, actions which we should be taking as a people on the West. Um, when it comes to climate change, um, from my own perspective, I don't think um, a lot of our country as national countries are taking enough um, responsible actions. Um, it's true that most of their missions may not be coming from Africa. And um, it's also true that we're dealing with a lot of the effects of climate change. Uh, but um, measuring the reactions from our own countries, um, at least for Nigeria, for instance, I don't think we're taking enough actions to actually address the problem as it is. Um, it's risky, it's dangerous um, to build narratives that puts the fate of Africa on the hands of the West. 
you know. So uh, um, I think um, leaning towards that trajectory, which is something I speculate is happening most, um, I think it's too risky. So um, I don't think I want to be too uh, optimistic until I start to see uh, more national African countries, you know, creating and taking their own initiative to respond to the effects, uh, rather than just really leaning on the West to um, meet up with their obligations, which so far has not been happening since Paris. Uh, let me go to Nairobi as well now. And Maurice, Maurice, that idea that we do need to be careful about our optimism actually might well change in a few days' time if they do come up with these unified statements and a concrete plan. But that, those plans are ambitious. They want carbon offset programs. They want $120 billion a year. Where are you, where are you at this? Do you think this is it's going to happen? I, I think it is it it can happen because um, as, as Sarah has mentioned there, uh, the, the the general goodwill, the political goodwill is increasingly there. We are all recognizing the devastating effects of climate change. It is no longer a, a debate. It is something that is now fully recognized. And I think African governments are recognizing this. The global community are recognizing this. But I think the major major part which has been a challenge, is, is acting. I think we should move from uh, a lot of talk and, and just act and invest in the right uh, uh, alternative, um, alternative financing models uh, for, to sustain uh, the, the green growth that we all uh, aspire for. So I think the goodwill is there, the political goodwill is there. Um, it's just a question of acting. We need to act now. Um, uh, for us to really make uh, any, any headway. Uh, Sarah, Maurice makes a very good point here. I mean, there is, like you say, seemingly the political will to get this done. There's a very important people in that room, as you say. But the elephant in the room is always big business, and big business does not want to change. And that's been a real problem. Now, we're looking at carbon offset uh, programs, carbon off offset investments effectively, uh, encouraging businesses to invest in things like planting more trees, and then that way they can offset those investments with the things that they're doing, the G20 countries are doing. For example, 80% of the world's emissions come from G20 countries. Are these financial models, you think, sustainable for Africa? So I think there have to be a lot more players than the private sector. Um, one of the things that we're seeing is that the scale of the challenge is in trillions. So the Songway Stern Batra report mentions that we low and middle income countries need $2.4 trillion every year to combat the, 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 the coalition of of climate and development. So we can't get all of that from the private sector. It will have to come from domestic resource mobilized within government. It'll have to come from domestic private sector capital mobilized. It'll have to come from foreign um, um, investments as well, as well as multilateral development banks. So these players need to come into the room. And right now there's a, a serious conversation about the African Carbon Market Initiative. And we, are, we believe that there's room for Africa to come with a common voice so that we can adequately price African carbon. Currently, when you stand up African carbon with carbon coming from other parts of the world, African carbon is cheaper and it's the same carbon. So the question is, are the methodologies defunct? Do we need to relook at that? What is the pricing mechanism? Can African countries get the revenue from 
A, absorbing carbon, and B, charging those who are polluting more to pay for the work we are doing on the continent of absorbing right. this carbon. So that's the constellation of conversations we're having. And so I do think there's a place for the private sector. I do think there's a place for the carbon markets, but I think we need a lot more tools in our toolkit. Right. Um, I saw you just disconnecting. Uh, Maurice, I will come to you in just a quick second, but I want to come to uh, Donald first. Firstly, uh, let's talk about this idea that the green business might be a way forward, particularly for the African continent. It is a continent uh, where 400 million people don't have access to electricity on a regular basis, don't have access to clean water on a regular basis. But now we're asking the big business to kind of come in with these carbon offset programs. Is that the right way to go, do you think? Um, so for me, I think um, it's going to be a lot of questions around um, the ability of um, existing institutions in Africa to enforce and implement what is right. Dirty is cheap. And um, if dirty is cheap, it's good for big businesses. And um, I don't see big businesses actually just tilting the right way, um, you know, going green uh, just to provide more electricity. Who it's going to pay? Um, a lot of African countries are living in huge debt. Um, we know we may not be having a lot of debt forgiveness coming in very soon. And um, so a lot of these businesses are not running charity organizations. They want to make profits. Um, everybody's going to like try to minimize costs as much as possible. So um, we don't have the institutions to enforce green sustainability business models and business measures. And um, I think this is what um, really disturbs my uh, whatever level of optimism I have. Mm. And um, I don't think we have those institutions. I think we need to to build those capacities first to ensure big businesses can do what is right. And then um, if we could take local initiatives to put more money in the pockets of uh, poor households to be able to afford green electricity, um, then I think we'll be able to, you know, get some real practical solutions. But um, until we get more households getting more incomes and um, real working... Sorry, Donald, I'm just going to stop you there because you've made a very interesting point that I want to put to Maurice. Maurice, this idea that you've got all, you know, these ideas that, you, that are going to come from this summit, but you don't have the capacity, uh, says Donald, within African institutions to be able to deliver on those. You, you simply don't have the institutions in place. Is that right? No, I, I, would, I would disagree. I would disagree with that partially. I also agree with it to a certain extent. But these institutions need to be built. Where they don't exist, we need to build them. I think the, the narrative that, uh, that, uh, that Africa is powerless, the narrative that Africa doesn't have this, it doesn't have that, I think that narrative, we need to now also counter it and get the necessary support that is needed so that we build this institution, we build the financing models and, and make sure that they, they are sustainable. Um, we, we don't want to reach a situation where we are feeling extremely powerless. In the continent, the resources are there, but how are we exploiting those resources? How are we exploiting the, the manpower that we have? How are we dealing with the, with the, with the capacities that are in the continent? So I think that we need a concerted effort to build existing institutions, create institutions that uh, we, where they are not existing, strengthen them where they are existing and they are weak, um, and then move on together. I wanted to, uh, to, to highlight also another point around the, the problem is not just about the private sector. The problem is for us all. It is a, is a, is a problem that is uh, impacting our children, 
at Plan International, we, we are seeing the, the, the impacts everywhere. The, the recent cyclones right. in, in Southern Africa, we are losing huge numbers of children in terms of a generation. So le, le, let us think of holistic solutions, holistic yeah. solutions that are going to bring strengthen institutions and make all of us move together in the right way. Uh, Sarah, we heard earlier, we were talking, uh, we heard from uh, Guterres, the United Nations Secretary General. He was very blunt. He said the G20 nations need to pay up. They need to pay up $120 billion a year. There's a lot of donor fatigue right now. There are several uh, problems, crises on, uh, on the continent and indeed across the world where donors are being asked to front up money. And most of the time, what gets pledged at these conferences doesn't translate into money on the ground. Are you worried about that? You know, there is a concern because it feels that the donor fatigue is based on we're doing Africa a favor. But I'd like to highlight that 80, Africa's contribution to emissions is about 4%. So 96% comes from elsewhere. And what Africa is saying is, you have created this situation. You've contributed 96% of the situation. What we are bringing to the table is an ability to absorb and correct the situation through our natural assets, our critical green minerals, our young, innovative, young, youthful population. And what we need is capital. So it's not that donors are doing a favor to Africa. They're doing a favor for the whole world, including themselves. So yes, we understand that the constraints of capital are widespread. It's not just within the continent. Other countries have this situation. However, the, the, the call to action for the G20, for donor countries is, we need a mix of financing. So loss and, and damage of funds should be adequately provided for as grants. But Africa can get loans as well, but they need to be concessional. So if we have a, a, a debt crisis on the continent of sorts, about 22 countries just in debt distress. What that means is when a country is making a decision between paying its teachers or servicing its debt, paying its nurses or servicing its debt, it doesn't have bandwidth to talk about climate and addressing all the challenges that are coming at it due to climate change. So there's an urgent need for multilateral development banks to create that um, the concessions, the concessionary loans for African countries. The G20 Commission and expert, the experts have advised that the World Bank, the African Development Bank can triple the revenue base so that African countries and low and middle income countries can borrow more at concessional rates, as opposed to what we do now, which is lend money from the capital markets, and we're paying five times more to do that. So, a, it's not charity, we're in this together, but B, we need available resources to tackle it. So it's not just grants, it's also loans, and it's also where the private sector comes in with equity contributions. Do you know, it's really interesting, Sarah, as you were talking, when you just said um, this isn't Africa asking for a favour, this is not Africa with its begging bowl out, both our guests actually nodded furiously in agreement with you. Let me go to Nairobi first and to uh, Maurice. This is the key change, I feel, that this summit, more than any other summit, is about saying, look, this is your fault and you need to come and help us, but we're not asking for a handout. Is that message getting across to the politicians from the G20 countries? I, I think it is. Uh, uh, the, the question is, uh, are we listening 
and are we acting? Going back to what, what I was saying earlier, because um, the, 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 even what Sarah is mentioning there, we need multiplicity of solutions in terms of financing. We have not contributed, especially as Africa, uh, uh, very insignificant in terms of the, the impacts of climate change. So the key thing is, let us really, really act now and invest, put in the money uh, in climate financing, put in the money in, in, uh, in, in all these agreements that we have uh, all along uh, come up with, but we have not put the necessary resources to make them actualized. So I think that we, we, it's, not a, it's not a begging bowl situation. Um, let us simply put the money where it needs to be because it is all affecting us. Africa is worst affected, and if we don't invest in some of these solutions, we are we are going to get into a more serious situation. Even when it comes to the, the, the forest cover and how we right. are doing the sequestering and all that, it's Africa that is even contributing the best in terms of that, the equatorial forests and all that. So let us put in our resources, the money necessary for making sure that we affect all these agreements and, and we move forward in the right way. Uh, Donald, a slightly different question to you. The mechanisms that we've talked about so far, the International Monetary Fund, the World Bank, the, the African Development Bank, those are the mechanisms that, generally speaking, when they have come into countries, uh, they've insisted on changes to the country's finance systems, austerity measures, for example. There is a cost to getting those people involved, and oftentimes that cost hits the most poorest people and they, those measures become unpopular. Are you concerned, then, that the international finance community is perhaps going to be a bigger problem long-term than this optimism that we see right now? Yeah, um, totally, um, totally. I mean, um, it's, um, it's been a long um, worry or complaint that um, large international um, organizations, financial uh, conditions, loan conditions are um, large and of favorable. Um, for subsidy removals, liberalizing the sectors, pushing sectors towards um, um, cash crops that are largely exported, changing farm systems. So um, to a large extent, yes. And um, these are some of the conditions and uh, discussions. Uh, we hope that the African Climate Summit should um, strongly, you know, go head on um, to discuss the conditions around climate financing, you know, expanding borrowing nets, and um, seeing how we really get a little bit of more concessional funds that go um, favorably, you know, to Africa and other developing countries. So, um, yeah, I think um, the IMF, the World Bank, um, I think they should uh, really, really look into these mechanisms. Uh, the current mechanisms, I don't think they favor Africa so much. And um, I think we really, really should consider um, the conditions around the climate debt swap, you know, and the rest of them. But I don't think um, current instruments are largely favorable. And um, if we don't address this, there will really, really largely be uh, a big uh, barrier as to how well we could address uh, climate change if we're actually looking or leaning towards uh, more international financing from the West. Uh, Sarah, I'll come to you in just a second, but Maurice, as Donald was speaking there, you were shaking your head. What did you disagree yeah, with? Yeah. Uh, no, uh, it's not that I'm disagreeing. In fact, I wanted to really just affirm some of the points that he's mentioning. Even in the international finance system as we speak, you have had several of our presidents, in fact, the president of Kenya was mentioning even the other day, that uh, the, the amount of interest that even Africans are paying um, uh, for, for, from global finance system is extremely high. 
um, and, and even when we come up with all these new mechanisms, let us come up with mechanisms, whether it is loans, whether it is grants, that are conducive, that are favorable to the African continent. Because the current system, uh, it, it has a certain challenge in terms of the amount of uh, money is calculated on risk basis, and, and, and the interests are just uh, extremely out of, out of this world. Uh, Sarah, we've concentrated on the actual summit itself, the financing of this $120 billion that uh, the UN is looking for to help Africa with, how that might be given to Africa, what sort of financial instruments, uh, private sector, public sector cooperation, all of that sort of stuff. But I want to get back to the actual real problems within Africa uh, itself when it comes to the mistrust, the, that image that African politicians are corrupt. The, the G20, often when they, when they say, we don't want to give any more money to Africa because we don't know whether it's going to um, uh, get to the right people. It is an image problem that the African continent, as racist as that is, has. So how is this summit going to address that? Is it going to address the endemic, almost systematic racism towards Africa? Yeah, so corruption is not... Uh purview of Africa alone, right? So that perception and narrative needs to change. We look across the Atlantic and we see corruption in many other jurisdictions. But somehow when, it when it's African-related, it gets amplified. So I think it's time for courageous and candid conversation. The corruption is everywhere. However, let's come back home to where what we can do as we're thinking about and, and working through um, resurrecting and actually building our continent. So two things that are very going to be very, very important. One is including civil society and citizenry in the conversation about resources. Accountability by Africans of African governments are going to be really important. So it's not outsiders putting a, 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 um, um, a lens on what Africa should or shouldn't do. It's the African citizens, oftentimes, that outlast the political timeline that need to be involved in this. And creating that atmosphere where African citizens and civil society can be part of that is a start. But the second as well, as well is when we talked about domestic resource mobilization of the money that's required, um, I know there's a quote of 120 billion, there's another of 2.24 trillion of that, of, of all that money required, 1.4 will need to come from Africa or come from the domestic side. So how are we, we're contributing also to this, you know, uh, the, the pot. It's, we're not waiting for, for folks to just give us resources. We also have to generate resources internally. So how are we thinking creatively on the continent of generating those resources internally? It will have to do with taxation, unfortunately, illicit financial flows. And those need to be strengthened because oftentimes the, the funds come out of Africa to the West. So we have enablers and other jurisdictions that enable this illicit financial system to thrive. So when the when the blame comes solely in Africa, I feel like we need to share that a bit more. But more importantly than sharing the blame, we need to do actual things to mitigate the perception, sometimes the reality, but largely the perception of corruption. And that involves Transparency, accountability. Sorry, getting we are, Sarah, we are running out of time. I do want to come to our other guests just quickly. Here's the deal. You've got, what, 24 hours left of this summit. It's coming to a close very soon. There needs to be a joint 
actionable statement that comes out of that that's going to satisfy all three of you. Just want to ask you, uh, Donald in Abuja, do you think that's going to happen? Is there a mission statement that's actionable that will work, that will come out of this summit? Um, yes, I think um, it's possible we can get um, some concrete um, resolutions um, that's uh, implementable. Um, but um, if I would want to be, um, if they are practical and they are nationally designed and um, our political... Sorry, Donald, we are running out of time and I do want to come to our guest in Nairobi as well. I understand that you think there might be a statement. Uh, Maurice, what do you think? Will there be a joint actionable statement, just very quickly? I, I, I operate from the side of optimism and I, I believe that uh, that is possible. We still have adequate time. It is possible they are going to uh, get something out. Uh, the key thing is, as I was mentioning earlier, let us all act and act fast because we don't have time to really wait. And, and, and the, uh, the, the time is just now for us to act and make sure that we can really turn the, the bend on this issue. I want to thank all our guests. Uh, Sarah Maka, Donald Ikena Ofegbo, and Morris Onyaga. This episode was produced by Mohamed Elaishi, Fintan Monahan, Fung Yengwin, Hannah Shakir, and Paul Taylor. Studio sound was by Yasser Rahmani, and the program was edited by Hossam El Shabasi, Zainab Badr, Khalid Sultan, and Joda Frias. Be sure to subscribe to the Inside Story podcast to catch every episode. Thank you for listening. Tune in on Wednesday for our next episode. Coming up in the take, will Niger be successful in throwing off French interference and influence? That's The Take by Al Jazeera. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.